Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com. Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com. Progressive is proud to honor our veterans by donating vehicles to move their lives forward, especially in times of need. This year celebrates eight years and more than 750 vehicles donated. Learn more about their Keys to Progress program and plans for 2020 at keystoprogress.com. What can give you a competitive edge in today's red-hot housing market? Rocket can. That's because Rocket Mortgage can give you a verified approval. It could help your offer stand out. Rocket technology provides a rock-solid verification of your income, assets, and credit, giving sellers greater confidence in you. Go to rocketmortgage.com or call us today at 8338-ROCKET. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information, appraisal, and title report. Call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender license in all 50 states and MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. Just win, baby. Commitment to excellence. The famed silver and black. The holy roller. Ghost to the post. The immaculate reception. Time never really stops for the great ones. Tales of greatness. Tales of legend. Tales that define our very existence as fans. Some tales are of epic proportion. Some tales are heartbreaking memories of missed opportunity. Raider Nation is full of these tales. Let's take a journey through the past and present and relive the Raiders' adventure in the NFL. Here's Swag Jeff and Murph coming to you live from the dungeons of Murph's Fan Cave. The indestructible Jim Otto, George Blanda, the greatest clutch player the game has ever known, Willie Brown, the magnificent cornerback, Gene Upshaw, Ted Hendricks, and of course, the magnificent Art Shell. And then you take Tom Flores, a star player who coaches the two Super Bowls. Let me take you back a few years to Frank Yule Field, to the Oakland Coliseum, to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, relive the moments of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. To those of us who saw you battle to the top, we will never forget you. You know, Raider football was always emotional. We loved to take those memorable trips throughout the league, and we were hated, we were feared, but we were respected. These are our moments. These are our stories. These are Tales from the Nation. <laughs> what is up, Raider Nation? Your buddy Murph back once again for another, what we hope to be fantastic episode of Tales from the Nation. This is where we jump into the history of the famed Silver and Black. That's right. We talk about all the amazing things that happened throughout the history of the Oakland and Los Angeles and soon to be uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, so many great moments to relive. And uh, and so we have a great time doing this. I uh, don't do it alone. I do it with my best friend in the world. His name is Swag Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Man, it's been so long since we've done one of these. I know. It's been a hot minute, man. I know. And I love that intro. It's a good one. It's a good one. And you know what's fun about this show, Jeff, is that, you know, I mean, I've been a lifelong Raider fan, kind of grew up with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, as long as I can, uh, you know, knew as long as, as soon as I, in life, knew the Raiders were a thing, I became a fan of the team. You are a lifelong sports fan, but just now, only about a year, been a huge Raider fan. Correct. So this is cool because it's um, a way for me to, like, relive a lot of these moments. Um, and then it's also been a point of discovery for you for a lot of these moments, hasn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning along with with doing the show at the same time. It's great. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And, and actually, and even though, you know, being a seasoned fan for 47 years old, I'm learning things. Like, there's things about this that's like... You know, that's the whole fun of this is that, you know, yeah. there's so much 
rich history when it comes to this football team and all the things that we love about the Raiders, the mystique and how it was born and how it was crafted and the everything from the way the team was marketed and everything else is all, uh, it's, it's just such a fun thing to kind of dig in and figure out, you know, you, it's fun to study the history to find out how you get to the present, right? Right. Absolutely. Like why are we the villains of the NFL? Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, so one of the things that gets thrown around a lot is is of course we talk a lot of Al Davis on this show and Al Absolutely. Davis gets spoke about uh, in, in regards very highly in league circles to this day and right. for a few different reasons you know him of course being the maverick and him having no regards to uh, ethnicity or gender when it came to hiring practices or drafting practices so many uh, areas that he broke through on um, so many barriers that he broke down uh, and so that, that's one thing, uh, the way that he crafted the image of the team, the mystique that I just referred to, that was one thing. Um, maybe some of his, um, practices, you know, being that, you know, that, that AFL gangster that he was right. And kind yeah. of the, the, the ruthless and cunning way that he approached business at times. But also one of the things that Al Davis was notorious for was his drafting ability and his ability to study and evaluate and acquire top level talent really at a time where it wasn't as widespread as it is now right nowadays you got analysts and people all over the place oh absolutely right for the teams the media all over we only get about 50 mock drafts on espn and nfl network before the actual draft exactly and you know before that you had teams that had relatively small scouting departments and certainly the managing general partner, in this case, Al Davis, the quote owner of the team, you know, you don't see that now like, a little bit with Jerry Jones, but in terms of like Al Davis was the originator of this, this whole idea of having um, this ability to, um, you know, to evaluate players and to look for things that they did that were special, that were unique to the league and difference and all that. And, and again, then they go back then to the, my original point and then taking no regard for, where they went to school, the color of their skin, you know, any of that, all that mattered to him was just win, baby. Exactly. Could you ball? Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. And we've got, uh, so with the tail end of the draft, we're kind of just on the other side of that now. We wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let's, 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 so this episode, uh, we're going to talk about Raiders draft history. Now, we could spend an entire series of this show going over the Raiders draft history, because again, it's a very rich history, both in terms of success and failure. Oh yeah. You know what absolutely. I mean? Before the show, I mean, we talked for, you know, an hour around, you know, Jamarcus and the power struggle between Lane Kiffin and Al Davis. And like, there's a whole bunch of, you know, negative story around it. Um, yes. but, um, we're going to focus today on, on the positive ones. We're going to kick it off by basically just kind of running down what Swago and I feel are the best, overall draft picks for the Raiders in each round, like regardless of what year they are, just go through the first, say five rounds of the draft. And who do we think is the best player ever selected by the Raiders? Uh, and then we got some fun surprises along the way, some audio bikes that we're going to play. Nice. Um, yeah, it should be good. So, so swag. So let's just jump right into it. Okay. Um, and I'm also gonna, I've kind of teased a few times, not even necessarily teased, but I've expressed my dissatisfaction with the Pro Football Hall of Fame and their consistent oversight of one Cliff Branch. Yes. Um, so I'm going to use this as now the platform to kind of really go in on that. Yeah, and why not? Why does that bother me so much? Why does, not just me, but a lot of pe- members of Raider Nation, why does that bug the crap out of us? Well, we're going to talk about that too. Um, but before we get to that, let's go ahead and start off. So let's go with round one, Swago. So round one. Who do you think is the greatest, which essentially we're saying was the greatest Raiders draft pick, almost. Almost, yeah. Almost. So yeah. so who's the best round one pick for the Raiders ever? So top pick, so so obviously there's a ton of number ones, a ton of Hall of Fame players, great players that the Raiders have drafted in the first round, but the one that stuck out to me immediately came in 1998 with the fourth uh, overall draft yeah. pick, number 24, Charles Woodson. To me, he's the guy. He's the guy. Now, well, why? Why? What, what makes it so much a slam dunk for you? Well, not only does he, I mean, he, he epitomizes what it is to be a Raider. He's a Raider, loves the Raiders, loves the city of Oakland, everything like that. Came back for a second stand after he went to stupid Green Bay. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's just, I mean, 
just a decorated player and and just it, he's unbelievable. Absolutely, and I agree. And I think that he, especially in that second stint, that's what locked him up for me as yes. th- that epitomizes the Raiders. And since he's been retired, like when Charles goes out and represents himself, whether it's on TV or just on social media. He's repping as a Raider. You see, exactly. Every once in a while, he'll bring up Green Bay stuff, but for the most part, it's all Raiders related. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and so Charles drafted, of course, uh, uh, at the University of Michigan, and and just hit the ground running with the Raiders. Man, just absolutely started having an impact right away. Uh, let's go ahead and check in with that first season, and let's listen to a couple of early highlights in Woodson's Raider career. This is Woodson intercepted. Charles Woodson, future Hall of Famer. 17th year in the league, and he still got it. And the old man, Charles Woodson, comes in and gets a huge sack. This young guy is going to make a, a lot of happy faces, smiling faces in the Bay Area before his career is over. Second goal from the seven. Garrett, throw. Intercepted at the goal line. Charles Woodson. Woodson breaks away from one tackler. Out over the 20, and the Raiders stave off a Dallas touchdown. Here's Warner. Into the flat, picked off, and here we go the other direction. This will be the Heisman Trophy winner, Charles Woodson. His second interception in as many weeks, his first touchdown in the National Football League. All right. So I love that, man. Isn't that great, man? I love that. And and kind of what you said, the stack the second stint really kind of brings all of it together. Really is, you know, he's the guy. He reps a as, as a raider. Uh, after his career is over and all that stuff, but I just love that he was a cornerback, and then when he didn't have the edge that he that a cornerback needed to have, he just switched back to safety, but still had the ball hawk ability yes. as a safety, and just watching him just come over the top of plays and pick people off, it was unbelievable. Absolutely, unbelievable. Man. Yeah, but he, you know, 154 games as a Raider, he uh, he uh, uh, 10 years total in uh, in Oakland. Uh, he's a five-time Pro Bowler as a Raider. Five-time, 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 five-time. Yeah, and we're only going to talk about Raider stats because we don't care about the other ones. No, we don't care about what he did. No, we don't care about what he did. Not to mention he was NFL Defensive Player of the Year, but who's counting? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Uh, but in his career, 27 <laughs> interceptions as a Raider, 18 forced fumbles, 12 fumble recoveries, 753 total tackles, and eight and a half sacks. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's good. Well, and eight, and it should have been nine and a half, including one in the postseason. That, uh, yeah. I'm on the tuck rule. I wonder, did he get credit? I don't even know. Did he get credit for the sack on the play? No, because it was an incomplete pass. Because it was pass. an incomplete pass. That's right. So he didn't even get yeah. credit for it. He got credited for like a, like a QB hit. Yeah, but that's a QB it. hit or a, or a, or a, a pass defended. Uh, yeah, something like that. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. What a crocker. Crap. All right. So, all right. This not, is not, not. This is not. The, not that this episode. Is not that episode. The worst episode we the ever worst did. Episode of this we've show. ever done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I still get messages from from people being like, "Are you going to do another episode where I feel like I would rather stick pins in my eyes?" Exactly. Than like, and that was the live show. <laughs> we did a live tales from the nation, and it was the worst <laughs> thing ever. Everyone in the chat is just like, "You guys suck. You guys suck. This is awful. Um, un- unsubscribe. Unsubscribe." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was a good idea going. We had all the good intentions behind it. Well, it was a good show. It was a fun show. It was a fun show. It really was a fun show. It was a fun show. It just, when you allot an hour's worth of time to cover that one subject and you're diehard Raiders fans, it gets real old real quick. You know what I mean? It really does. Really does. Absolutely. So, Murph, so who is is your top pick in the first round in Raider history? All right. So, for me, um, and I love your pick, by the way, and I don't think that there's a wrong answer on these things, and I hope those of you that listening understand, like, we are not list bullies. Like, when it comes to the Raiders, there are no wrong answers. Right. So, this is not like, well, my guy's better than your guy. It's just my guy's different. I just had another another take on it. And so, uh, my take on it is the man that had a 15-year career uh, with the team. He is a two-time Super Bowl champion, six-time Pro Bowler, named to the 70s all-time team, the NFL 75th anniversary team, the NFL 100th anniversary team. And I'm talking about the man that not only led the Raiders, but led the NFL PA. I'm talking about Gene Upshaw. Nice. That's right, number 63. To me, he is the all-time uh, number uh, first-round pick for the Raiders. But I don't want you to take my word for it because I'm just a schmuck with a podcast in a bonus room. Let's listen to some of the other all-time greats talk about Gene Upshaw. I'm watching the Oakland Raiders, and I'm watching the Kansas City Chiefs as a college kid. 
The Raiders and the Chiefs hated each other. Here come all the Raiders. Holy Toledo. It's a free-for-all. And I see Buck Buchanan dominating. Dominating everybody. Nobody could stop this guy. Al Davis goes out and finds a guy named Gene Upshaw. Big, huge specimen. Sticks him at offensive guard just to stop Buck Buchanan. Nobody had ever seen a guard that big. That little guy that I got a block on so little, I might run right by him. Let's go back. I got there about two or three years later. I watched him become one of the greatest uh, offensive linemen in the league. Al Davis brought Bob Brown from the Eagles onto our team. And Bob Brown had this gigantic thumb, and he'd stick that thumb right into the guy's ribs. And it wasn't too long before Gene Upshaw had the thumb, which was permanently broken during the season, just on Sundays. The damn official's on me, I know. Oh, I lost him good. He's gonna check my pads the first time he get a chance. Believe me, if there was a technique, whether it be legal or illegal, Gene Upshaw knew it. Anything to win. win is what Gene Upshaw did best. In his 15-year career with the Silver and Black, Oakland had just one losing season. The Silver and Black, New Orleans, here come the Raiders. And Upshaw remains the only player in NFL history to play in Super Bowls in three different decades. It was our finest hour. This was the finest hour in the history of the Oakland Raiders. Central to the success of those teams was the running game with the player known as Highway 63 often paving the way. The Oakland line is just wiping out Minnesota's front. He had them big arms with all the big pads on, just throwing these things, and guys just be pouncing off them. We should run down these guys' throat. Gene would pull from his left guard position. He would get out there so fast and just attack you, just run people over, and those backs would get right on his backside. You couldn't even see the back because he was so big. It's sort of nice when you turn the corner and you look into that defensive back's face and he looks a little frightened because he's got 260 pounds running there. You okay, Pitts? Huh? Pitts, I hit him with a forearm while ago, so he's out. He's not on his feet. Let alone watch him become one of the great offensive linemen. I watched him take over the Oakland Raiders. Whoa, let's go, buddy. Get after him. Got him down. Now don't let up. We got to go to work. One o'clock tomorrow. Everybody on time. Come on, Phil. Come on, let's get it out of here. There's nothing more brutal than an offensive guard slugging it out on every down. When you got that guy being the leader of your team, that's a guy you want to follow. Brock, is that chill, so man? Cool. It's so good. That's Especially so good. Hearing good friend of the show, Phil Villapiano. Yeah. Uh, talk about uh, his good friend and, and teammate and leader of the Raiders, man. And I yeah. think that's what ultimately what landed me on Upshaw. Not that Woodson wasn't a leader. Like, again, this is not a one or the other kind of sure, a thing. Yeah. Um, and Woodson was an amazing leader, especially later in his career. But Upshaw was that guy from the very beginning. And especially when you're talking about a guard, like who's typically the leaders of your team? And not that Stabler wasn't even, or that there are, yeah, wasn't a quarterback, other... running back, wide receiver, middle linebacker, or something like that. R- rarely is an offensive guard the leader. Right. And so not only do you have this amazing player, this amazing leader, but this amazing football team. And then he goes on and finishes his career, you know, and sadly we lost Gene early, but like he, he finished his career as a, as one of the greatest NFL PA agents, if not the greatest ever, yes. like and negotiated through, you know, collective bargaining and like all these, like the modern day NFL was literally formed around this guy. And so right. I just think it was an amazing, uh, ama- amazing pick and glad to, to respect Gene today on the show, man. And um, yeah, man, I, he's just one of those guys. It's like, sadly, probably undersung a lot of times because the flashier guys to us are it's Jack Tatum and it's Stabler sure. and it's Bolitnikoff even yes. or Tim Brown or whatever. But Upshaw, man, again, is a guard. And then last thing I'll say this, and I'll shut up. Him and Shell played on the same side of the line. Like, 
That's ridiculous. Yeah. No wonder we had so much good running game. Exactly. I and mean, protect, holy cow. And, and protecting Stabler. Yeah. Like, you hear Upshot tell stories about, like, sometimes in the huddle, he'd tell, uh, he'd tell Stabler, he'd be like, hey, Snake, just, like, bounce around back here or something, man. Make it look like you're doing something. Because they would block for him so well, Stabler would literally just stand there flat-footed. Just like looking around, like <laughs> waiting for some waiting for branch or somebody to get open, yeah. and then fire it. And so uh-huh. Upshot would tell him, like, "Man, snake, like, yeah. move around, dude. Yeah, move your feet a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. So good. So, anyways, uh, appreciate that. So great, yeah, man. Appreciate Gene. And uh, and so, okay, let's go to round number two. Who do you got? So round two uh, came in uh, in 1981. Oh. 1981. Uh, this fellow played 179 games in silver and black. 13 seasons in total. He had 84 sacks, 10 fumble recoveries, two interceptions, an eight-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. I'm talking about number 75, Howie Long. Oh, Howie, Yeah, dude. man. Absolutely. Good, good call on Howie, man. Yeah. I dig that. Uh, yeah, man. That's There's nothing undersung about oh, Howie no, Long he's great. and the lore of Raider Nation. And another guy that's gone on to a really cool career after the fact, and uh, I love it when we see our – uh, former players or coaches, you know, in Madden's case for so many years, when you see them go on to bigger, uh, not like I say it's called bigger because nothing's bigger than being a Raider, but you go like other areas. Other platforms where we see those people perform in other ways to see him on NFL Fox, you know, still, you know, cheering for the Raiders and stuff like that. That's super cool. Yeah, and his kids go on and play. And, you know, Chris turns out to be, a, a, you know, a Super Bowl winning uh, yeah. player and like all that. kind. Of, like, you know what I mean? Like he's, the Long family and Howie is still prominent, still very uh, relevant in today's NFL discussion. Yes. And I'll just never forget that scene, man. Of um, and and I know I'm kind of like over, you know, I'm, I'm overshooting all the wonderful years that he had in Los Angeles, and although the team struggled at times, like I get it, that's where he had his his heyday. But uh, you know that that time at Black Sunday, man, when he was a rookie playing alongside of Lyle Alzado. Howie would at for the longest time was the last original Oakland Raider. Um, something very unique to him because he was drafted and then stayed with the team so long that eventually all the players that were with Oakland phased out except him. He was right. the last original Oakland Raider. Anyway, yes. but there's that scene in Black Sunday. Um, uh, I believe it's it might be on Squirex's interception for a touchdown. It's one of the defensive scores. Um, and Howie's right there. At the back of the end zone, man. Up, oh up yeah, against the, the up against the wall, you know, with his arms up, you know, hollering at the crowd, man. Just such yeah. a such a cool highlight moment. Uh, great one, Swago. Very yeah. very cool. Um, all right, man. This is this. I'm finding right now that by doing this, that we probably could have done this a couple rounds and done an entire show. Oh yeah, because I gotta like I could get real windy right now. Um, I'm not going to in the interest of time. But I feel like I want to revisit this at another point with another Tales from the Nation. Anyway, so round, my round two pick, uh, NFL MVP, 1974, four-time Pro Bowler. Twice he led the league in touchdowns in 1974, 1976. And I'm talking about number 12, left-handed, QB son bitch out of Alabama. Yeah. Snake, dude. Stabler, man. Well, yeah, that's your guy. That's my guy, man. And that's where, like, you know... Again, it's not of this or that. Um, as amazing as how he is, I don't think anybody epitomizes the Oakland Raiders to me more than Stabler. Never has, and probably never will. I'll, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll retire my Raider fandom one day when I, you know, well, I won't retire. I'll take it with me to heaven. Um, uh, you know what I mean? Or in, in the po- in the afterlife, anyways. Yeah. But when I take on, you know, like I, he'll be it. Like I don't. He, it's one of those things where it's like when you, as a kid, have a favorite anything movie franchise football team football player it's hard to like displace that like, yes when you lock into that kind of fandom and that forms that kind of passion in your life about whatever that is you become a fan of and so that's what kenny was to me and um you know the raiders of the 70s and i've said this a million times uh but they were superheroes to me and they were larger than life figures and this was before the age of the internet. And um, so to, to get stories about a guy like Stabler, they were passed down from my uncles, from my dad. And so hearing those stories and hearing about reading the playbook by the jukebox light and all that kind of stuff and the stories of the Santa Rosa training camps and all that. And then as I got to be a little bit older and old enough to 
read Stabler's book, Snake. Yeah. And read and like heard the stories, you know, firsthand from him about his time with Matuzak and Ted Hendricks and all these guys. Like, it's just like, I'm like, not only was this guy an amazing football player, but he was one of the more unique and fascinating off the field figures. Yes. And that to me, like, I'm just a sucker for personality, man. And it's just having that kind of presence outside of or off the football field, but while maintaining this amazing ability on the field. Yeah. And again, the interest of time, I'm not going to play every freaking stable highlight because we'll be here all night. But there's so many, and he was so innovative, and he was so clutch, and I think that I'm going to finish it up with this, that I think the thing that gets lost, at least for I'll speak for myself, for Raider fans like myself, the thing, the disconnect for me from Derek Carr at times is that inability to be like Snake. Like, I don't care what your numbers are. Do you have that innate ability to make the throw, to win the big game? Like, I forget who famously said it, uh, but it, it goes like this. Great players aren't always great, but they're always great when they have to be. Yes. And that's what Kenny was. Kenny would be the guy that might, might struggle a little bit in the passing game, might throw an interception or two, may not throw for big yardage. But when you needed the one pass to win the freaking game, he would perform. Yep. Like he was your guy. Or he would take off and run it in. Right. Like, you know, like, un, like sadly, around the Immaculate Deception is an example. Everybody focuses on that game, the Immaculate Deception, right? Because that was the game, the play that lost the game for us so famously. Right. But right before that, Kenny Stabler took off and ran in a long touchdown that even put the Raiders in a position to win that game to begin with. Right. Like, that's the, like he was even clutch when the, it wasn't even favorable for the Raiders. Right. He was still clutch, even though the result wasn't the desired result. So, like, that's what John Madden said when, when he was, uh, you know, uh, posthumously inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If I had to pick one player to make a play, to make one player to make a throw, one quarterback to make a throw, it would be Kenny Stabler. And this is a guy that's been around Brett Favre. I was Aaron about to Rogers, say, yeah, I mean, Troy Brett Aikman. Favre was his, was his guy as a commentator. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, that's Aikman, great. Aikman, Steve Young, Montana. You think about all the Hall of Fame great quarterbacks. Not Madden. Of course, he was partial. I get it. That's his, you know, that was his player. But still, that's who he would pick. And yeah. that's, that's who I would pick. So I, I think he's the, the best second-round pick. And probably, I think, pound for pound, Probably the best pick, period. But there's my fandom talking. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so let's move on to the third. Round. All right, let's go third round. Third round. So we're so uh, I am going to be talking about a guy who uh, who played 15 seasons in silver and black, 207 games. He's a Hall of Fame player. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He is an eight-time Pro Bowler and a two-time First Team All-Pro. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion as a player, a one-time Super Bowl champion as an O-line coach. He was a left tackle for Stabler and Plunkett. And above all else, after the fact that he was drafted in 1968, 80th overall in the third round, but he's the biggest Swag Jeff fan around. <laughs> we are talking about Art Shell. Art Shell, man. Yeah, third round that guy slipped to. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we're, and he was like, it's not big Texas A&M. It's like A&M Kingville or something like that. Yeah, Like yeah. a smaller school. Yes, and Art Shell was, uh, was the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. There you go. So, like, wasn't a lot of players coming out of Maryland right. Eastern Shore back in the freaking... What year was it? Like, 60... Uh, uh, 1968. 68. So, yeah. So, so that idea that there you go. There's the genius of Al Davis going into these smaller programs and uh, and selected. And, like, ugh, dude, that's just crazy, man. So, like, he, he picks two guys to lock up the left side of the line for however yes. many years when you start... Set it and forget it, man. Set it and forget it, man. Ab yeah. Absolutely. And guys that were tied together in their career for the uh for its entirety man that's awesome i i don't even want to get onto mine because mine's going to pale compared to art shell um but the greatness of art shell you know also this i don't want to make this about al i want to keep it about the players but this is the guy that al chose to be the first african-american head coach you know in the modern era yes and you know like that's and and he went on and he really you know during those times between like the early 90s when the Raiders got good again for a minute. From the time after, like, you know, I know we, a lot of people want to sing Plunkett's praises, but Plunkett was not that great, especially after Black Sunday. Like, after 84, the Super Bowl of 84 anyways, he frankly struggled, and so did Tom Flores. Like, the Raiders were not that great. 
And the Raiders went down. They went down hard, and they stayed down for quite a while yes. until we got into the early 90s. And Shell was a big part of resurrecting that mystique of the Raiders. He was a big part of that, and I think that's why Al appointed him. Yeah. Because he was like, okay, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that Raiders of the 70s mentality. Yes. And Art was able to bring a fresh enough approach to it while including that whole, you know, mystique and heritage and legacy and all Heck that. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? So I think there was a lot there to Art Shell, not only as a player, but as a coach for the Raiders. As yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great one, man. Good job. So uh, mine, uh, <laughs> it's kind of slim pickings, really, when it comes to third round picks as far as the great third round picks for the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, so I, I picked a guy that I think was just really kind of fun. Um, he, he had a, a five-year career with the team. Uh, played from 98 to 2002 Raiders picked him in the third round fullback John Ritchie um, and Ritchie was fun because he represented to me in the during those years that the resurrection of of the of the Raiders um, because okay so after the Raiders of the 90s with Art Shell yeah same thing we crashed we crashed hard and we stayed kind of bad for a while until Gruden got there yes so the same year that Charles Woodson is drafted, we also draft this this crazy guy John Ritchie to play fullback for the team, and he was famous for having a bloody head, like because he wore oh, his helmet so tight that yes. he, he was such a good blocker, and he would lead with his head, and his head would be all bloody and stuff. But I think that just kind of represented that new, partially that new era of the Raiders. You had all these KG vets because I mean they brought in all these guys like. You know, Tim Brown and Rod Woodson and, you know, uh, Eric Allen and um, uh, Jerry Rice and you name it. Right. All these guys. Even Rathman was around for a minute. Like, I mean, they brought in all these old school guys, um, you know, Romanowski. Right. Right. All these guys that were not necessarily Raiders. um, But then they got then by drafting people like Woodson and then even John Ritchie. It was like he represented that youth movement of the team and that grit and toughness and the imagery of that bloody head every week. Yeah. It was pretty cool, man. So well, that's a that's a Raider thing, man. Just all bloodied and beaten up and all that. I mean, absolutely. You, you watch all those old clips of the 70s and 80s Raiders. I mean, that's what they were all about. Exactly. Yeah. So it just kind of reminded me of that old school mentality that, yeah, that Gruden yeah. brought with them. And and despite the veteran presence, the kind of the freshness that, that, that accompanied that. So, absolutely. So that was pretty good. All right. So, so next up, we got round four. Who you got? Yes. So, so I have a guy. That uh, he's played, he, he's only played ten games. He's only started ten games in silver and black. Uh, four passes defended, four forced fumbles, ten sacks, fourteen QB hits, two thousand nineteen, one hundred and sixth overall pick out of Eastern Michigan. I am talking about our boy Max, Max. Crosby. Yeah, man, Mad Max, dude. That's that's pretty solid. You know, it's uh, well, you talk about it's well, it's a little early to tell, a little too early to tell. But I mean, this guy. I don't know, man. He he's he's something special, something special for sure. I think so too, man. That he yeah. There's something unique and brewing there about because this was a guy that we drafted with the whole intent of well, you got to get stronger. Everybody kind of it was kind of a wait and see thing. Yeah, he would develop. You know, maybe like an Arden Key type. Like, okay, we're not going to see a lot of flashes year one, but maybe year two, year three, you'll start to come around. Or whatever. Right, right. And then he breaks his hand in the preseason, and you're like, is this guy even going to make the team? You know, they highlighted him on Hard Knocks, and it's like, man, this it'd be cool to have this guy. You know, he seems like a fun guy and, you know, going to bust his ass and all that stuff, but, you know, is, is he going to be the guy? He's hurt. You know, is he going to make the team? But he did more than make the team. Ten and a half sacks later, and really a lot of overlooks as far as defensive rookie of the year, yeah. man. Like, yeah, huge and impact. Y- you know what? And I just and I look at four forced fumbles. That's strong, dude. That is way strong. Yeah, because that's the stuff that closes games. That's what Mac used to do. That's why we miss Khalil Mac so much. Yes, I don't regret the reason they traded him. I'm glad they did. Clearly now, especially at this point, well, we yeah. saw the equity we've received in return. Um, but that's what he would do. Like when you needed that turnover, when you needed that big play on third down, when you needed that that, yes. that big stop, he was the guy to change the momentum of the football game. And yes. that's what so far Max Crosby is showing yeah. that he's yeah. capable he, of doing. He reminds me a lot of J.J. Watt. The more I've watched him, because he's just got that big old wide wingspan right there, and he's involved in almost every play. If it's at the line, he's there. Yeah, absolutely. Jared Allen. Yeah, along now, Ab- the, the, absolutely. You know what I mean? Along those lines. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. And, and you know, 
I was really rooting for Arden Key, man. I thought he he was really gonna gonna bust out at some point. Um, and sadly, he hasn't, at least not yet. Maybe that's still on the horizon for him. Yeah. But Max certainly did. Max made up for what you know we were let down about with Key. Max sure. made up for that. Sure. Took the well, scale and back. to me, I think Key's probably. I mean, is he still on the team? Right now, I believe he is third year, right? I mean, yeah, I mean he's gonna be a he's gonna be a, a depth guy for sure now because you know you bring he's, in a you bring in a guy like uh, uh what's the what's the guy we just brought in from uh, Tampa Bay? Um, oh, Nassib? Yes, yeah, yes. Nassib with him, can play with out him there. and with him and with with uh with little baby Cleland and all that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he's fallen down. The, There's the a lot of rotation going on out yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so um, I know it's not a competition, but my fourth round pick wins because I'm picking Cliff Branch. All right. Well, so, yeah. So, all right. So, here's what I got to say about Cliff Branch. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to keep it between the lines here and try to keep it brief. Yeah. Well, that was brief ain't gonna is, isn't. Yeah. I mean, we're what are we? Thirty five minutes. Okay. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll give it a few minutes here. All right. So, Cliff Branch uh, played the entirety of his career with the Raiders. Yeah. He played until he was 37 years old. Okay, he played in 183 games and started 150 of them. He had 500 receptions for 8,685 yards. His receiving average was 17.3 yards per catch. He had 67 touchdowns with a long of 99. Okay, and he averaged um, 47. Uh, was this yards per game? It sounds like that's low, but yes, but 47 yards per game for Cliff Branch. All right, so. Why is he the greatest fourth-round pick? Because you don't draft Hall of Famers in the fourth round very often. And yes, Cliff Branch should be a gosh-darn Hall of Famer. And here's why Cliff Branch should be a Hall of Famer. I just read you the stats right there. But in in comparison, there there are a handful of criteria, I think, that to be considered to enter into a Hall of Fame, whether that's baseball, football, basketball, doesn't matter to me. There's a, a handful of criteria. One... Were you the greatest at your position at the time in which you played? Not necessarily stats, because stats can change, especially in the NFL when you're talking about the way the defenses have changed, the way that stats are accumulated can change. So were you the best at your position at the time in which you played? And then the second comp for me is how do you stack up against people that were your peers that are already in to the Hall of Fame? Yes. So here's the kicker about Cliff Branch. I just read you all those stats this was back in a time, Swago, and you know this, but the, the passing game was secondary to the running game. Yeah, back then. absolutely. This was in an era where Kenny Stabler didn't throw for but 2,500 yards and was the NFL MVP. Right. Because that's not what offenses looked like back then. So Cliff Branch literally defined what is today's NFL. You don't get to Tyreek Hill without starting at Cliff Branch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it all is about Cliff. Okay. So when you consider Cliffy and those numbers, I mentioned, well, those numbers rival anybody else from that era. He has more career receiving yards than Lynn Swan, who is in the Hall of Fame. He has more career touchdown receptions than Swan's teammate, John Stallworth, who is in the Hall of Fame. Branch has more catches, receiving yards, touchdowns, Pro Bowl selections than Drew Pearson, who was also passed up for this year. But the biggest atrocity for this year was that Branch has three more All-Pro selections and freaking Super Bowl rings times three than Harold Carmichael, who did get in this year. Cliff Branch literally beat the crap and outshined Harold Carmichael in the biggest game in football, in the Super Bowl. Right. The Raiders and Cliff Branch balled out. Harold Carmichael did not, and that guy got into the Hall of Fame? That makes absolutely zero sense to me whatsoever. And when you look at his regular season stats, his postseason numbers are what sets him apart from all those guys. Okay? That's just regular season. When you look at postseason, currently, even in today's NFL, he is fourth all-time with 1,200 career receiving yards, trailing only Julian Edelman, Jerry Rice, and Michael Irvin. Branch, who averages, I mentioned, 17 yards per reception during uh, 17.3 yards in the regular season, also uh, had an average of 17.7 during the postseason. He has as many Super Bowl rings as Jerry Rice, Julian Edelman, and Michael Irvin. His three Super Bowl touchdown receptions are tied with Swan, tied with Stallworth, and Gronkowski for second all-time behind Rice. Okay? 
That's his postseason numbers. Then when you look at longevity, and that's the other part of the criteria that we could refer to, how long did you do it for? Were you great for a couple of years or were you great for a lot of years? In Cliff Branch's case, he was good till he was 37 goddamn years old in the NFL and still burning fools back then. Right. That's what set him apart. So at an age where most receivers hang up their cleats, Branch was still playing in big games. In Super Bowl 15, a 32-year-old Cliff Branch caught two touchdown passes in Oakland's 27-10 win over guess who's Eagles, Harold Carmichael. Three years later, in Super Bowl 18, a 35-year-old Branch set the tone for the game with a 50-yard catch that set up a, a 12-yard reception, the first offensive score of the game. And after that, the Raiders never lost momentum, and we whipped the hell out of the Redskins, as we've covered on this show, 38-9. And unlike many players in his era, also Cliff Branch trained year-round, which was something that did not happen back then, but that is what kept him so good for so long was his dedication and work ethic there's literally nothing about this man that's prohibitive for him being in the hall of fame we can look at plunkett we can look at flores we can look at other people that even you know sorry but phil villapiano we can look at other areas uh, for other players career that go well there's that one little thing there is that one you know, time in Seattle or Buffalo or whatever, when we're things that are a little bit of a, of a setback, well, Plunkett, you know, and, and with the Niners, like you can see things about him that don't equate to hall of fame careers, not cliff branch, right? Everything lines up, put this man in the goddamn hall of fame. And he's the best for best. I'm frothing, literally frothing. Yeah, you are. <sighs> he's the best fourth round pick of the Raiders. Then, and I said that about Kenny in round two, uh-uh. There's your best all-time pound-for-pound pick for the Oakland Raiders, Cliff Frickin' Branch. Amen. Amen. <sighs> yeah. Sweating and frothing, pissed off, Hall of Fame, you suck. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So. Follow that up. Oh, wait a minute. No, give, you no, you need to hit us with, with some audio. Yeah, I'm going to give you a reprieve. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say Cliff Branch? Speed. 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 Total speed. As they too found that on the gridiron highway, speed does kill. I think Cliff Branch was a game-changing kind of receiver. He was a guy that didn't catch an extremely high volume of passes. But for a team like the Raiders, who relied really on the vertical game, I mean, they were a deep ball-throwing team, and you needed uh, a big deep ball threat. I mean, Branch was it's exactly what he was. Cliff Branch was a deep threat before there were real deep threats. In an era where you didn't throw deep and you didn't try to stretch the defense. Only the Raiders did. Cliff Branch was one of the first guys who could go out there to just stretch the defense. He was one of the guys that they feared the most. I know Al Davis always talked about that the player that the defenses always fear the most. It was Cliff Branch. You see how good he was and and what an impact he had on one of the game's most dynamic offenses. I think you can make a very strong case for him as a Hall of Famer. Branch averaged an astonishing 24.2 yards per catch and 79 receiving yards per game in 1976. But it was another number that made him a trendsetter amongst his peers. He wasn't just a blazer running, but he was a trailblazer because he wore that 21. 21, cool. The minute they see that 2-1, oh, it's Cliff Branch. Like he had that identifiable of a number. It's like a 17 for Harold Carmichael, double zero for Ken Burrow. I mean, it's to me, it's iconic. You meant I don't to think say Jim Otto. Receivers yeah, wear number 21 or anything like that. I think that's a rule that needs to be changed in the NFL. But he definitely needs to be in it. He was there with two different quarterbacks, catching all those touchdowns, huge part of those teams. Throwing a deep bomb, going to Branch against Livers. Livers knocks it down. Branch catches it. Touchdown, Raiders. Why does Swan make it and branches out? It's your fault. It's your fault. It's NFL Films' fault. Because you've shown those Lynn Swan catches from Super Bowl X how many times? Swan, he's the defensive back, Washington, a great play. Gets the rush, he throws over the middle. And the ball is Lynn Swan. 
Branch, though, was a more consistent player than Lynn Swan, and he was a scarier player, I guarantee you, to defensive backs than Lynn Swan. I think that's a fair comparison when you look at Cliff Branch and Lynn Swan. And if Lynn Swan still got in with John Starworth being really the better receiver, then why shouldn't Cliff Branch have a legitimate argument to get in, even though Fred Bolitnikoff is on the other side? And Cliff Branch has championships as well. And Dave Casper. It's a good yeah. argument. Stump me there a little bit there. That's, that's, a, that's a good comparison, eh? And maybe Cliff Branch gets in. He, thank you. I'm going to stop talking about it. He better. <laughs> you better. He better. You know what? And, and has there really ever been a burner? Have we had a burner like that on the Raiders since Cliff Branch? Well, yeah, like James Jett, and you had these guys that were like Olympic sprinters and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, and Ishmael and even Desmond Howard. Like, sure. You know what I mean? But it yeah. seems like, it seems like not- this season could be the first season now, the 2020 season, with Henry Ruggs. He probably reminds me the most of Cliff Branch. Oh, no doubt. I mean, for sure, which makes me fired up about him. I mean, I've already seen shirts that say Speed Kills 11. Which is where that Which, in the old school Raiders uh, sign people used to put up and said speed kills 21. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's super cool. Yeah, it is very so. cool. I think it's a great comparison, Jeff. I, I think it's a very fair one, too. I think you're right that he certainly has the potential, especially in terms of like body size and like all that. Yes. Much more reminiscent of Cliff than anybody we've had in terms of, especially in terms of potential. Like we've yeah. had other fast guys. I mean, we've had fast guys for the history of the Raiders, but like, sure. But in terms of like overall and like, cause even Cliff could still like high point the football and like out route somebody. And like, he could do all that stuff too. He yes. wasn't just a fast guy. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's the thing that we've had a lot of just fast guys that couldn't do all those other things where it looks like rugs, uh, does have that ability yeah. coming. So very, very cool there. Um, all right, so let's go. We got one more round to get to before we get out of here, uh, and we're going to go to the fifth round, Swago. Who do well, you yeah. got for the fifth round? So the fifth round, we're going to be talking about the 1977 draft, drafted 126 overall. This uh, this fellow was a ten was a ten year Raider for his entire career. 39 interceptions, four of them were pick sixes, seven fumble recoveries, one of them was a scoop and score. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion and a five-time Pro Bowler. I'm talking about number 37, Lester Hayes. Oh, Lester. Yeah, man. That's a good one, It's a good one. It's a good one. I mean, in another, how does that guy slip to the fifth round? I know, isn't that crazy? You know, but I mean, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like... It seems like it, it reminds me now that what it did back then, you know, you're getting these guys that are all-stars in, like, the fourth and fifth round. I mean, you know, and we're seeing that now again. Like, whoa, like, this is cool. That's what we always say. That's where you build championships. You know what I mean? Like, you draft these high-profile guys, and you draft these superstars in the first round or maybe two, but you build your championship underneath that, right? Yes, you get Art Shell. Yes, you get Kenny Stabler. Yes, you get those guys right. round one and round two. You get Charles Woodson. But you get look at all these look at these amazing players we've talked about, you know, just the last few. I mean, Cliff Branch and 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 Lester Hayes, like you're talking about two of the all time greatest Raiders in the fourth and fifth round, man. Like that's right, just right. Where was Blitnikoff? Well, that's funny you ask because I picked Kenny over Fred because they were both second round picks, but Fred was drafted into the NFL in the third round and the AFL in the second round. So obviously he went to play in the AFL. Went to go play in the AFL. So that's why I picked. Uh, that's why I picked. Okay, well that makes Kenny sense because I, I was Fred. surprised because when I was doing my research, I was like, "Wait, where's where's Freddie B?" Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. And, and oh, I mean, literally, if he wasn't going head to head with my all time favorite and probably, if not, not even maybe not even probably the all time greatest Raider and Kenny Stabler, then yeah, he's in there. You know what I mean? So that sure. was, that was kind of a tough one. But yeah, but but point being though is that like. This is where your depth comes from. This is where, you know, Max Crosby and Trayvon Mullen and those guys are going to be the ones that are going to inform championships more so than Cleveland Farrell. I'm sorry. more. You know what I mean? And, like, right. and we'll see. Like, look at this year, just as an example. When you pick up a guy like Brian Edwards, yeah. Amik Robertson, right? Lynn Bowden Jr. When you yes. get the, These are the guys that are going to build us to a championship. You know, as nice and flashy as it is to get a Josh Jacobs or you know what I mean? That's great. And don't get me wrong. And that kid might be an NFL MVP, but it's that depth that comes from the later rounds that really informs it. Yes. You know, so that, that was a good one, Jeff. Um, all right. So last one I've got here is, uh, I'm going to give you 
Shane Leckler. Um, oh, good one. Yeah, round five. Uh, he is, uh, we share a birthday, by the way, Shane and I do. Really? Yeah, yeah March 30th. Nice. Uh, another guy from Texas, Texas A&M in this case. And um, I, I picked Leckler because, you know, Ray Guy is the greatest punter that the, the league has ever seen in the Hall of Fame. The only punter in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Al Davis drafted the second punter that's going to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. And Shane Leckler. And when you think about that, that there's only two guys in the history of the league that have done what these guys do, and they were both wearing uh, Raider jerseys, that's pretty awesome. So as uh, I mentioned, he's from Texas, played at A&M. He was drafted in the fifth round pick overall, number 142 in the year 2000, finished out his career with the Texans, um, but played a majority of his career with the Raiders. And for a long time, uh, Leckler was, you know, the best Raider. Him and Janikowski was like when Raiders went to the Pro Bowl, if it wasn't the occasional sighting of Marcel Reese or something like that, it was Leckler and Janikowski. Like, right. Those were our two guys. Absolutely. That were the best at their positions in the league, and we knew we were going to represent that way. The rest of the team around them wasn't all that great, but they were great. And so um, another guy that really wore his Raider pride, you know, out front, um, 1,400 career punts, 68,000 punting yards, averaged 47.6 yards per punt, and 469 of those. So you're talking about a third of his punts or just over a third of his punts or close enough anyways, inside the 20 yard line. Like that's so good. And when you think about that, like those are short kicks too. So out of those 469 kicks, if those were just flat out boomers that he could have just wound up and kicked it as far as he could, his average would have been like 50 something. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just had this monster leg seven times in the pro bowl, six time, first team, all pro, uh, three times, second team, all pro, um, Punning leader 44 times over, Golden Toe Award, uh, NFL 2000s All-Decade Team, 2010s All-Decade Team, NFL 100th Anniversary Team. His, that 47.6 yards average, that's it's an NFL record yeah. uh, for a career. And the other thing about Shane Leckler, and I joked about this when he retired, and, it, and it's funny, hum, a lot of people got the joke. A lot of people didn't get the joke. I, I put up, congratulations on a great career in the NFL one of the greatest quarterbacks the Raiders have ever had. Oh, and he could kick a little bit too. Oh, nice. And it was because for the, so many years, Shane Leckler was our emergency quarterback. Yeah. And had like touchdown passes. Like I think it was Kevin Boss, if I remember right, that he threw a touch like on a fake punt. Uh-huh. Like threw like a 70-yard touchdown pass to Kevin Boss. Like Shane Leckler was cool, man. Oh, he was yeah. a great Heck, Raider. Yeah. So absolutely. So a lot of respect to him and, uh, and I think a great fifth round pick absolutely uh, the raiders all right swaggo gosh ran long for tales from the nation didn't we yeah yeah before we get out of here though let's hit a couple of little, little fun ones little tags okay on the way out okay best draft trade for the raiders raiders paid a big price to acquire linebacker ted hendricks ted hendricks kick him in the head ted from green bay for two first round picks Following the 74 season, Hendricks stepped in and bolstered the Raiders' defense, played a big role in the team winning its first Super Bowl and its second in his second season, and two more before he retired in the 83 season. So I'm going to say Ted Hendricks was the best draft day or best draft trade for the Raiders. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. So I've got one. Okay. Uh, it's the best late-round pick. Okay. The best late-round pick ever, number 34. Oh. Bo. Nice. Bo, who is one of only just a just maybe a couple players ever to be drafted into the NFL twice. Twice. A first yeah. round pick and a last round pick. Yeah, absolutely. How about that? Yeah. So he was in nineteen uh in nineteen eighty five, he won the Heisman Trophy, and then he was selected first overall in, in the eighty six draft by Tampa Bay. But I guess he said to hell with that. He didn't <laughs> want to go play in Tampa Bay. So he went and go play baseball instead. But the next season, the eighty seven draft. Al said, hey, if you want to play baseball, you go play baseball, and we'll, you can come play with us. He, they spent a seventh-round pick and drafted freaking Bo Jackson. You know, I mean, sadly, you know, his career wasn't long, obviously, because of the injury and stuff. But, I mean, he's still known as, like, one of the greatest Raider running backs ever. Absolutely. You know? Maybe the best athlete ever. Yeah. Like. So, you know, with a little more longevity, that might be the pound-for-pound pound greatest pick for the Raiders that might have outshined Cliff. Like, right? Like, 
Don't you think? Yeah, may, yeah, maybe. I mean, just for the tra- for the the pick value and all that stuff, yeah. and what you got out of that. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and then you look at the cultural impact of that too, because only short of probably Jordan, like, and, and for those of us that are old enough to remember the Bo Nose campaign and all that stuff, like, Bo was transcendent. Bo was beyond. And I know we already talked about Bo a lot on the show, but like, go back to that episode when the one we recovered when he when he actually breaks his hip. But like, that whole idea of him outside of football like he was bigger than football there's not many people that can be bigger than the raiders and get away with it right because al davis didn't want you to ever be bigger than the raiders right bo jackson was bigger than the raiders and it worked yes absolutely for sure you know so Uh yeah yeah that's a good one that's a good one absolutely all right last i'll give you last little tidbit here okay and i hate to end on a down note and just to let you go first um Worst, the worst <laughs> draft trade. I gave you the best one with Ted Hendricks. Here's the worst. The worst one. Draft, draft trade. Yeah, for the Raiders, Randy okay. Moss, 2005, acquired from Minnesota in a deal that included the number seven overall pick. Oh no. Yeah, uh, they traded him eventually back to the to New England, or not back to, but over traded to New him England. To New England. Yeah, yeah, for a fourth rounder, where the, in New England he had 23 touchdown catches his first year with the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, just and you know yeah. who we got with that pick back cornerback john bowie who played in five games in three seasons wow so who was who was the number seven overall pick that season that we got that we traded so troy williamson the infamous troy williamson yeah 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 super superstar troy williamson (laughs) from south carolina wide receiver is what we gave up to get randy moss I, but we wouldn't. We wouldn't. I don't think we would have got that guy because in that draft you had uh, who the number one overall pick that year was was Alex Smith. That was the. Or, I'm sorry, not uh, yeah, Alex Smith. So that was the oh, year. So that's the A-Rod's that was draft. that was the A Rod draft. Oh so that we could have spent a pick to go get that and then go get Rogers. So it, but yeah. we, well, we could have, but we wouldn't because we had Kerry Collins, if I remember right. Yeah, like my like cousin Sonny famously said, just because you're named after a girl doesn't mean you have to throw like one. Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, you know, but I mean, Pac-Man Jones was in that draft, and you know, I mean, Demarcus Ware, Demarcus Ware, I mean, Demarcus oh, Ware, good one uh, you know, David yeah. Pollock was in that draft before he had his terrible injury and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, this, oh I mean, gosh. Sean Merriman was in that draft. Those are dark days, man. But- you know, yeah, right, the um, stupid lights out guy. Those are dark days, man. Like we were talking about, we met up with uh, Jeff from Dominico's earlier today. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about some, kind of some of the, you know, some of the dark times for the Raiders in the early to mid 2000s, man. And whew, those are some yeah. lean years, man. Yeah. Like after the 2003 season and when Gannon finally took, you know, one too many shots and retired with too many concussions and all that stuff, man. Uh-huh. Once all that went down. I mean, boy, it got ugly for us, and yeah. all that, all the Lane Kiffin years, and uh-huh. the carousel of quarterbacks. Andrew yeah. Walter, Josh McCown. Yeah, Aaron well, Brooks. I never, I never knew all, all the whole backstory with Jamarcus Russell. I mean, I knew he was obviously, you know, the greatest bust probably of all time, uh, besides probably. maybe Ryan Leaf or something like that. But I mean, I mean, the greatest bust in Raider history ever. And yeah, I mean, I didn't know all the details about, you know, with Lane Kiffin really wanting to draft Calvin Johnson as opposed to him. But Al said, no, you're going to draft this guy. He's our guy. He's our guy. And yeah, I didn't know any of that. I mean, that's just crazy. And what Jeff was saying at the at the store today, I mean, it's taken us almost this long to kind of get over that. That's the thing, man, is that and I'm so thankful that the league changed how the rookie contracts work, because if you whiffed and we were like one of the last teams to do so. When you whiff on a first overall, or at least at a minimum, a high first-round quarterback, the money that they used to command, you know, I think Sam Bradford was like the last guy to get drafted to get one of those major contracts. Yes. Um, when It would hamstring your whole team if yeah. you're, that player didn't do well. Like, Jamarcus got like... Thirty-six million dollars guaranteed. Yeah. In what year? Like was uh, 2007. 2007, right? Yeah. Like I mean, so you're talking thirteen yeah. years ago, and that's still a lot of money in today's NFL. Yeah. Well, and that's why I was so shocked to see, and not to kind of change the subject, but I was shocked to see how big of a contract Tua got. What did he? He, he got thirty plus mil. Right, and see, and that's with the rookie wage scale, right? And yeah. of course, salaries have gone up a lot, and salary cap has gone up a lot. Um. 
But yeah, back then, and it'd be interesting to look at the percentages of back then, but like 30, however much million guaranteed in your, I think it was like an $80 million contract total, something like that. But I mean, that was such a huge percentage of the overall salary cap of the team. And you had an unproven player. So yeah. then when you miss on him, it then hangs up your cap and all your dead cap money and all that stuff Yep, for the next yeah, three to five years. years yeah. And then you got to recover from that. Exactly. So it's like, like, like Jeff was saying it from Dominico's, it felt like it was a decade and he's not wrong. Like it was, it was like six or seven full on years. We were hamstrung by Jamarcus and then still some trickle years after that to come out of it. Yes. And then you finally get Derek Carr in the second round and Khalil Mack and you start to turn things around. And because I, you know, look, I'm not, and we're getting long here. We'll go here in a second. I'm, I'll shut up after this. I know none of us are happy with the Raiders not making the playoffs lately. And I know there was a lot of expectations, especially coming out of 2016 and all that. But all that said, this is nothing compared to what it was like in the dark days, in the time of Lane Kiffin and Mike White and Norv Turner and like all in Art Shell Part Two and like all those were some really dark times because the 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 team and the organization in its entirety was dysfunctional. I love him to death and we will sing his praises forever around here. But Al Davis struggled in areas towards the end. Sure. And it was just super high level dysfunction and it was really really rough being a fan being a fan of this team nowadays right is easy compared to that oh yeah for sure four and 12 or not it's easier than it was sure back then sure. because at least now there's a direction there's a concept there's a plan being formed you may not always agree with the plan you may not always agree with the players around the plan but there's a direction that's been established and we are marching ever towards that Back then, man, it was the freaking Wild West. You didn't know who was going to show up, yep. who was going to be the coach, who was going to be the quarterback. Like, it was bananas back then. So, yep. anyways. Damn, this was fun. Yeah, it was I good stuff. I love show. this show. Yeah, man, me too. Good job, Swaggo. Well, yeah. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> you want to shout out anything before we get out of here? Uh, tune in to all of our shows. Subscribe to us on the YouTube. Find us uh, on your podcast service, whatever you're listening to right now. Listen to all of our other shows, RFR Live, uh, RFR Rundown, Mojo's Pod Show, Fan Club Blitz, Mondays with Mikey and Murph, which is coming back. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's all going to be good. And, you know, we're kind of getting into the, into the slow part of the offseason, especially with, uh, with COVID-19 and all that stuff. So, you know, so, so yeah. So just sit back and enjoy some Raider history that we're talking about. And uh, we're going to start pumping more of these out. Absolutely. It's time, man. Yeah. It's time in the off season. So, uh, and you can find us also on the YouTubes. Oh, yeah. America, go to the YouTubes. Um, America, go to the YouTube right now. That's right. And so uh, check us out there on the YouTubes and subscribe to us. We are uh, just, just a few away from 2,000 subscribers. And yeah. when we hit that magic number, we're going to uh, pick a, a few folks out of there and yeah. send you some stuff. I got an Al Davis book for you. Yeah. Uh, we will send you. We've got some other swag from uh, Raider Jeff, from one of the 19 Raider Jeffs that we oh, know. Oh, yes. We're going to sign a Get Made shirt, send that to you. So Yeah. Anyway, so help and if us. you watch the shows, you might say this. That's a weird deal going on there. <laughs> <laughs> <That> is- <laughs> <laughs> all right Raider Nation, we appreciate you and uh yeah man we need a good tagline for this show you know yeah i mean tales from the nation is cool as a title but we need well like we a- could do another contest let's do that let's announce it tonight on our on the next show we're getting let's ready announce to it on to, rfr on now and the next show on, on rfr rundown yeah, yeah let's come up with a tagline for tales from the nation and we'll send you something i'll, I'll sweat i'll send you something there you go and I'll so just the, send you something from my personal collection. There you go. Beautiful. And in the meantime, what happens in Vegas started in Oakland. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com. Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com.